Tonight's passage comes from 1 John 4. We're going to read um, verses 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, Lord, we need you. Whether we know it or not, we need you. And Lord, we are thankful that in you, we, we find rest, we find forgiveness, we find hope. Lord, so many of these things that we, we emphasize during the season of Advent, um, God, we, we're just thankful. We, we begin with this, this word of, of thankfulness that our deepest needs are, are met in thee. And so, Lord, I ask that in this time you would teach us you give us confidence, you give us faith, and Lord, that you would teach us to love you and to love one another. So Lord, we dedicate this time, and we ask that you would stir our, our attention, our affections, Lord, that we would hope in you, and we pray these things in and for the name of Jesus here and around the world, amen. In the 90s, uh, the, the psychologist, his name is uh, Dennis Simons, he, he did this study, uh, University of Illinois. And some of you might have seen it, it, kinda, it, it got a little bit of buzz on the old YouTubes. And uh, it, was this, it was this video, and, uh, and it's, it's six people, uh, three on three. Uh, three people that have white t-shirts on, three people that have black t-shirts on, and they have two basketballs. And they are passing the ball, like all the, all the white team passing it to the white team members, all, all the black team members, they're passing the ball. And they're kind of weaving in and out, not in any real particular order, but just kind of a mass of, of movement. And the test is, count how many times the players in white pass the ball to one another. All right. And so you, you, they, they begin, they start passing it, you're counting, and then the video ends and it asks how many times. The answer is 16. I've ruined it for you. Um, the second thing I'm going to ruin for you. About halfway through, a person in a gorilla outfit enters into the middle of the chaos, beats his chest, and keeps walking. 50% of the people that watch the video don't see the gorilla. 50%. And if you know this going in, you will not believe me. Like, you will not, but it's not, I didn't do the test, but the, you don't believe Simons. Uh, but 
50% of the people do not see a gorilla walk into the frame, beat his chest, and walk on. And so if you find the video on YouTube, you're just going to say, surely everyone would see this. Because it's almost like when you know it, you can't help but see it. But if you don't know that it's coming, 50% of the people didn't see the gorilla. It's, it's, it's called selective attention. Um, and I, I think that it's a concept that is helpful for us to remember in, in the season of Advent. When there's so much busyness and there's so many tasks and so many things that, that we have to be attentive to, like otherwise your family will hate you or your, you know, something like that, like, or, or your kids will, will despise you or something. You have to be attentive to certain things. Like paying attention is a really good term that we pay attention, that we have a limited amount of attention and we pay it out. And then when you're done, like you're done. You don't have any more. You can't borrow attention. And so we get so focused on these certain things and then a gorilla walks through and you don't even see it. And this is a, this is a caution to us all. It's a caution to me. Um, the first couple of weeks of Advent, yeah, they're, they're, they're busy. But we're, we're hitting that home stretch. We're, we're nearing the end of the Advent season and then, and then Christmas. And I think that it, it's really important for us to huddle together one more time, to encourage one another one more time before many of us pack up the cars or you get on a flight and, and we head to different places and lots of busyness. And for us to come together to pay our attention to God's word and to listen. And so that, that is what I want us to do tonight, to direct our attention here to God's word found in John's letter. Now this section of scripture, um, next to 1 Corinthians 13, the, if I speak in tongues of men and angels but have not love. You know, the, the wedding verse. Uh, next to that, this is the other wedding verse. You know, you got the, it says love a whole lot, so this should probably be in our wedding. I'm sure many of you uh, photographers have, have grown to just hit this or, or, you know, the 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's one or the other that you're hearing just about every weekend. Um, but, but there's one section in particular. It's verse 8 that probably gets the most play, and that is God is love. And for me, it's kind of awkward. Like, it's being a, a minister full-time is kind of a strange, it's kind of a weird thing. Um, at dinner parties or even, buy, like, when I bought my car, after the guy, he asked, you know, what do you do? And you never want to lie, especially when you're a minister. Like, you don't want to lie about what you do. You can't just say, I work for a nonprofit. Like, I'm a, I'm a minister. I work in a church, and the entire four days, I got calls from the guy who was trying to sell me the car. Reverend? Really. Uh, but this is, this is one of the phrases that comes up a lot whenever I, talk, uh, I meet someone. It comes up that I'm a minister. They might say something like this, and, and I bet that it's probably happened to you too. And it might be a friend or a family member or, or a stranger where they say, yeah, I, I, I believe... I believe that God is love. I don't, I don't go to church or, I mean, I don't, I don't really do the kind of the organized stuff. I don't really need the details, especially the embarrassing ones. I don't really need the details of theology or anything, but I, I believe that God is love, and I think that's enough. And, and somehow, this false structure is set up that there's, 
There's theology and the details, virgin birth, resurrection, all of these things. There's the theology, but then there's the simplicity that God is love. And that somehow these things aren't seriously linked together, inseparably so. A question that can be asked, and, and, the, and there are really two objectives that I really have uh, tonight. One, that we would be stirred up to believe these things, to believe God's word, to treasure him, to worship him, and to obey him. There's that, that we would grow in faith. And the other thing is that maybe you will be encountering some of these kinds of conversations in the coming days or weeks, and that we would answer them with conviction and clarity. And so a question that comes up to me whenever someone says, well, I don't really do the whole church thing. I'm not like super Jesus-y or anything, but, uh, but I believe that God is love. And I think a really important question comes up for that individual, that, this hypothetical individual, but also for us. And that is, how do we know that God is a God of love? How do we know that God is love? And, and maybe even more than that, that he directs this love to any of us. On what basis? Because that's a pretty big claim. I believe that the, the person, the being that, that created all things, that holds all these things together, I believe that the fundamental characteristic of his nature is love. And more than that, that he directs it to me. That's a pretty bold statement. Where do we get that? How, how can we say that with any confidence whatsoever? How do we know that God is a God of love? And I think that in the Advent season that this is a very important question to ponder. And it, it's a question that we as the church should answer with hope, with joy, with peace, and with love. And so tonight we, we answer this question. And I, and I believe that it can be answered like this. We know that God is love. And that his love is directed to us because in the incarnation, God's love is revealed. God's gratuitous, never-ending, all-consuming love is revealed. It's in the Father's sending of Jesus that shows us, it proves to us, that God is love. And not only that, but his love is aimed at us, his children. So let's look now. John's letter, chapter 4. Because he declares this truth to us tonight. Look at verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world. So that we might live through him. In this, the love of God was revealed among us. John is saying that the love of God was made manifest, made evident, revealed to us in the sending of his Son into the world. This is how we know that God is love. His love was made manifest. It was put on display in the sending of Jesus. It's good for us to remember that God was not obligated to send Jesus into the world. There were no rules or regulations or requirements that he had to send his only son. But when God so willed his love, directed his love at a ransomed people, therein he willed an obligation. 
At that point, when, when he so desired to redeem a people, he had to send his son. And this is how we know that he is love. Because God so desired to bring salvation and restoration and his kingdom to a people, his will created obligation. And out of that desire came the necessity to send Jesus into the world. And at that point, when he willed it, it had to be. And he had to send him because to effectively remove sin, to deal with it, for salvation to be realized, he had to send the Son. And there is a scandal in this sending. God condescending, God humiliating himself, becoming humble, pouring himself out, setting aside his glory and authority in heaven to become a servant, to become a child. Can we really take this in? Presbyterian theologian uh, Frederick Buchner, he, he said this about the incarnation, the enfleshing of God. It's kind of a fast joke whereby the creator of the ends of the earth comes among us in diapers. Until we too have taken the idea of the God-man so seriously enough to be scandalized by it, we have not taken it as seriously as it demands to be taken. Until we see the scandal, until we see the humiliation that God was willing to endure in becoming a child, then maybe we're not taking it as seriously as we ought to. See, John, John took this very seriously. And he saw that there was this connection that we have to make. It's not enough to just have this generic love of God. But we need something Specific. And when it gets specific, it becomes scandalous. We know that God is love because He revealed this to be true in the precise sending of His Son. We cannot take the general concept of God is love and cast aside the exact way in which He has revealed this truth. The manifestation of His love is precisely in that sending of His Son. And not just the sending of a a teacher, a great encourager of humanity, just a compassionate figure worth honoring and revering. No, he was sent with a precise purpose. And we know that God is love because of the sending and this purpose. Verse 9 again. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. The purpose of sending Jesus is our new life through Jesus. New life. This implies something tremendously important. God is love and he displays this love in sending his son, knowing the cruelty and the brokenness of this world. But he does this so that, so that we might live through him. In life, why do we, the living, need life? John uses this word life a number of times throughout his gospel. When he's quoting Jesus, as saying, I'm the bread of life. When he says that I am living water. When he promises 
to those that would come after him, those who would come to him in faith that he would give them life. And this life happens because God becomes human. So that we then can live human lives the way that we ought. The way that we were supposed to. Listen to this quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. God becomes human. Really human. While we endeavor to grow out of humanity, to leave our human nature behind us, God becomes human. And we must recognize that God wants us also to be human, but really human. See, we often use terms like human nature or I'm only human as excuses for depravity, selfishness, just sin in general. Yet God became human. He took on human nature to redeem it, to make human nature and I'm only human terms of joy and delight rather than an excuse. See, this is the way that we actually live. He comes that we would have new life through Jesus, not just better moral lives. See, when we do that, when we, when we make this whole gospel truth just a set of moral rules that we can live up to, then we make the gospel just a really, thing to, a really easy thing to achieve. And when we make easy things for us to achieve, easy goals, then life becomes like an upwards basketball game. You know, like, it's just this, hey, you're super and I'm super, right? Like, let's just high five it, guys. Like, we're super. No, we really are broken and we really need a redeemer. And our Redeemer comes to us in our humanity. Not speaking down to it as a God above us, just saying, be better, be better, be better. He comes to make us better. He enters into our frailty, our brokenness, our cruelty. And He loves us. You might recognize some of these words that are kind of being said here in in 1 John chapter 4, and it might remind you of words from John's gospel in chapter 3. Nicodemus and Jesus talking back and forth about what it means to be born again. And in that section, that's, that's where that other famous verse comes, where, for God so loved that He sent. See, John is remembering these words of Jesus. This isn't just a generic love, a happy liking. This is the deep love of God. And this is repeated in verse 10. And and in a way, he kind of refines. He goes a layer deeper. Look at verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. John, in refining this statement further, not only is God's love revealed in the sending of God's Son, Jesus, and that He was sent with the purpose of giving us life through Him, but further than that, God loves us despite us not loving Him. 
So now we've, we've arrived. There are two implications here that I think are really important for us to note. If God sent Jesus that we would have life, we can infer that we did not have life without him. That means that we are dead. Secondly, if God sent Jesus despite us actively not loving him, that means that we hated him. So this manifestation of God's love, this holy, perfect, unending, gratuitous love, is revealed, it's revealed to us precisely when we are dead and hateful towards God. That's exactly what Paul is talking about in Ephesians 2. When he says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you were by nature children of wrath and hate. And Paul makes this clear again in his letter to the Romans where he says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is revealed specifically, intentionally, directly, purposefully. And again, John repeats the purpose of that sending. Look at the end of verse 10. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Again, John is emphasizing the purpose of God, revealing His love. He sent Jesus. And the purpose of that sending is life and propitiation, which is the forgiveness, the appeasement of God's wrath, satisfaction of God's holy anger. You see, because God has a right to be angry and a right to judge us according to our sins. And His love is so true, so perfect, so real that it does not neglect our sins, but it deals with it. There is a scandal in this sending. You know, we're, we're, kind of, we're still in that fever pitch of uh, the war on Christmas. Um, and, and one of the things that I saw on, on Fox News recently was this guy who was being interviewed about uh, a nativity scene that was set up in, in some town square. And the, the interviewer just said, what, what is your, ultimately, like, what's your problem with that? It's just like, it's a, it's a little tiny building, and then this little man and woman, and then little baby, and then these, these guys that probably weren't even there, like kings and wise men and all that. So, you know, what, what's, what's your big problem with that? And he said, and the guy responded with this, do you know why Jesus came into the world? He came to die on the cross and save us from our sins. Do you have any idea how offensive that is? At least that guy took it seriously. At least when he looked at the manger, he saw that that had to do with sin. And that offended him. And perhaps until we take it that seriously, maybe we're not taking it seriously enough. And God put forth, the, put forth this propitiation. This means by which His just anger and wrath would be dealt with truly in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. And that we would walk in forgiveness. Not only that, but become His children and become citizens of the kingdom of God. These two verses, verses 9 and 10, um, Theologian Martin Lloyd-Jones said, this, this is a perfect and complete synopsis of Christian theology. This, this, this is kind of, this is everything in a nutshell. That God loves. 
He loves in such a way, and we know this, not because we just value love as the highest virtue that we could share in humanity, and therefore we just want to project that upon this being. No, we know that he is love because he sent his son. And in Jesus, we have life through him, and that life is rooted in the forgiveness of sins. It's not a result of us loving God enough or winning his favor with our goodness or proposed goodness. It's the greatness and graciousness of God alone. This is the gospel news. This is the good news declared by the angels and preached among men. And as complete as this synopsis is, John goes further. He goes further into the implications of this gospel news in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Loving one another, he says. Loving one another reveals our life through Jesus and the accomplishment of God's love in sending Jesus. Our loving one another testifies, it gives evidence to God revealing his love in Jesus. Loving one another is so directly tied to and only tied to the love of God revealed in Jesus. In our loving, which means when we utilize God's love to love one another, we see the perfect completion, the perfect working of God's love, and we proclaim the manifestation, the revelation of love itself, Jesus. Because the love with which we love one another is from God. And that tells us if we know God, and not only tells us, but it tells an unbelieving world, around us. God's love is revealed in the sending of Jesus. And the purpose of that sending is new life through Jesus. And new life in Jesus is possible by the forgiveness of sins. And we declare all of this gospel truth. We declare this love when we love one another. This also can bring our minds back to Jesus saying, I'm the vine and you are the branches. And he says, abide in me, and I will abide in you. And how will we know that? When we obey him, when we obey his commandments, and when we love one another, and when we love the Lord our God. See, we know that God is love, and that God loves us because of the incarnation. When God himself took on flesh, to dwell among us. God's love is not vague or ambiguous. It is revealed, made manifest in the baby born in the manger. And we must be very careful not to tame this revelation. And sometimes we want to. Sometimes I want to. Because it's strange and it's wild. But hear this from Frederick Buchner regarding the Christmas story, the incarnation. We have tried to make it habitable. We have roofed it and furnished it. We have reduced it to an occasion we feel at home with. At best, a touching reminder or a touching and beautiful occasion. And at worst, a trite and cloying one. But if the Christmas event in itself is indeed a matter of cold, hard fact, if it's all that it's cracked up to be, 
then even our best efforts are misleading. The Word became flesh, ultimate mystery born with a skull one could crush. Incarnation, it is not tame. It is uninhabitable terror. It is unthinkable darkness riven with unbearable light. Time split apart, a wrenching and tearing of the very tendons of reality itself. You can only cover your eyes and shudder before it, before this. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, who for us and for our salvation came down from heaven. Came down. Only then do we declare and uncover our eyes see what we can see. It is the resurrection and the life that Mary holds in her arms. End quote. This is divine love. And divine love, like holiness, is wild, untamed, and completely other. And yet Jesus comes in flesh and blood. He welcomes children. He has them sit on his lap. He feeds the hungry. He loves the unlovable. And then he takes up our cross. He walks our road to judgment. And he lays down his life for people that he calls friend. This is ultimate mystery. And ultimate awe should follow. And so this Christmas, be reminded. Be strengthened. Because it's true. God is love. And the manifestation of that love is real. And he has a name. A name to call upon. Arms to hold you. Red blood that was spilled for your forgiveness. And he has a kingdom. Which we must long for. With all hope, peace, joy, and love. Worship him this Christmas. Find your deepest needs met in his love. Because love's name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Let's pray. Triune God, you have loved us, and your love has redeemed us. Lord, here, near the end of the Advent season, Lord, please stir in our hearts wonder and praise at your immeasurable love. Lord, your breathtaking kindness. Jesus, meet us. Transform us. Give us life that we would love one another with your love. We pray these things in the Christ child's name, Jesus.